Okay, we, we're going to get going. <coughs> it says there's 43 people coming, and we already have 43, so we can start. Uh, you're the first 43 we're going to roll with. <coughs> um, thanks for coming this afternoon. I'm going to, uh, let me just mention briefly who I am. My name's Doug from Johannesburg, South Africa. Uh, we currently, I am the, uh, the lead elder at the Parkhurst um, Community Church. It's a church that we planted um, uh, four years ago. Uh, Quint and I, so Quint is in the back row there, uh, and he'll answer any of the difficult questions later. Um, we planted the church with some of our friends out of, a, out of a church that I'd grown up in and come to faith in. And uh, we've enjoyed a lot of <coughs> God's kindness to our church. Uh, and we've been on a journey uh, while we were still at that church and now particularly as we planted this church uh, in, the whole <coughs> sorry, in the whole area of life on life discipleship. So we have built our church uh, around, around this. Uh, this for us is, is a big deal. So you'll hear, you'll hear uh, pretty clearly as I'm going through how big a deal this is for us uh, as a church but also individually. And, uh, and I know we only have an hour. Um, I, I'm planning to be the first breakout that ends. You know, that's like, that's our goal. We're going to, you know, you know, when you're in a breakout and you see the people walking past and you're still stuck there as the guys like slide after slide. I have no slides. <laughs> so we are, we're going out to enjoy the afternoon. And, uh, but we want to spend an hour or so and I want to leave some time at the end for questions because normally when I speak about this stuff, there's a ton of questions that come up. So I want to, I want to fly through some stuff. Hopefully my accent won't lose you. And then uh, if you have questions, there will be tons of time at the end for, for that. And we'll, I'll stick around for as long as you want uh, to, uh, to ask questions. So I, I want to ask you a couple of questions just to get your mind going uh, as, as, as we start. Um, you don't, you, I mean, if you want to shout stuff out, you're welcome to do that. This is more just to get your head thinking. If you were a church with very limited resources, uh, some of your churches may be in that situation. Our church is... Is sort of in that space. We're still fairly new. We're not like this place, you know. I mean, not many churches are like this. But if you had very limited resources and you could only do a couple of things as a church, what would you do? Like you didn't have, you actually couldn't put on this and this and this and this and this. What, what things would you say, we're going to do this, this, may maybe three you pick three things. Yeah, okay. Mission together and reaching the lost. Number one. Okay. Prayer A prayer meeting. Oh man, I'm coming to your church. <laughs> huh? You're going to get people at least. Yeah. Think onto four already, but I, w I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't counting. <laughs> I, what I'm trying to get you to say it's difficult if you only zoom in on three. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to take any more because I want to ask you the next question. Your current context, where you are now. What are your What are your three best things that you do to move your people towards maturity in Christ? Yeah. You encourage them. Prayer. Missional community, Bible reading. Who does community Bible reading? Okay. I probably have like 
Yeah. Here's another question. So some of these questions, I'm just giving them to you, and you can, you can, you can think about them later with your leadership team. They're, they're provoking. They just get our minds going. If you didn't have Sunday, if you didn't have Sunday, how would you move your people towards maturity in Christ? Would your church survive without Sundays? Like, honest. I mean, and this is not me looking down my nose at you. Uh, would your church survive without Sundays? Like, honest, sober reflection. If you just said, we're packing up Sundays, or some circumstantial thing came about that forced you to no longer be able to meet on a Sunday. Would your church survive? Next question, would it thrive? Would it thrive? So, I mean, survival is different to thriving, isn't it? <laughs> Would the people in your church consider themselves? So now don't think about yourself. Think about the people, the people that you look at, the people that you do life with in your church. If you ask them this question, are they a Christian or are they a disciple? What would their knee-jerk reaction be? What would they say to you if you ask them? Are you a Christian or are you a disciple? What would they say? Straight up. Without like sanitizing the answer, googling it, you know, <laughs> checking what Keller said about it. Hmm? Yeah, m yeah, a lot of people. A lot of people would say, I am a Christian. <laughs> Discipleship, what? I've heard about that stuff. It's hectic. <laughs> like next level, next level stuff. I mean, you, you can hear my answer there that our view is that discipleship is normative Christianity. There's no such thing. You look, you look all the way through your, uh, your Bible and you'll see uh, Christians uh, referred to as disciples. A disciple, a disciple is a follower of Christ. That's what basic you know, garden variety Christianity is. It's, it's followership. And yet in the minds of our people, they've sort of got like, I can be a Christian without being a disciple. It, it, it's a weird thing. If you, you have to scratch the surface a little bit, but it does flush out some of where we've gone wrong a little bit as a church. Let me, <coughs> let me throw some stuff at you here around. Th this, is, this is largely what drives the way we see things and how we do stuff. Uh, and I'm going to get into some practical things later, but I want to start with some foundational things. I'm assuming that you're in the room because you have some interest in discipleship. Otherwise, you'd be at I don't, I don't even know what the other breakouts are. You'd be at something else. Volunteers, songwriting. <laughs> You're all the lot that gone sing. So we're not gonna, <laughs> we're not gonna do any of that. <laughs> I want us to look at the model and the method of Jesus. The model and the method of Jesus. We tell our people that we we so often want to be like Jesus in His character, but we don't want to follow Him in His methods. And it's probably because it's true for us and for many of the guys that we, we work with. It's probably true for some of the people that you love and lead, that we're, we, we're all for wanting to be like Jesus in his character. But then when it comes to doing what Jesus actually did, that's like a whole nother story. We've got a whole bunch of reasons why we can't do what Jesus did and why, you know, and there's theological reasons, there's practical reasons. Christians, we're experts at putting and building elaborate systems to get ourselves out of simple obedience and following of a very simple pattern that Jesus put forward uh, to us. We, 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 we put it like this. We want to look at, uh, you, have you got one of those fancy Bibles uh, with the red letters? Ha have you got one of those red, red letters of Jesus? 
why do we put those, we, we, we put what he said in red letters. And, and those Bibles are, you know, like there you go. And it's like I'm reading the red letters now. Because what Jesus said is way more important than what he did. That's, that's kind of what we have in our heads, that he taught these things. But what he did, we, we're not really that worried about what, what Jesus did. But man, what he taught that's where the magic is. And I, I'm not against that. I mean, obviously, that's the words of the living God, absolutely. But when, when Luke writes at the beginning of Acts, what does he say? In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. All that began, Jesus began to do and teach. I, I, I presented to you uh, this. This is Jesus. Not just a collection of his teachings. This is what he did. This is how he lived his life. This is where he spent his energy. This is what he prioritized. I give it to you all for your encouragement and for you to follow. We talk about Jesus modeling a life-on-life life approach. And that's why what we call this life-on-life uh, life, uh, missional discipleship is actually the name that we've given it. So why did Jesus appoint 12 Apostles. And these aren't like trick questions. Like you're not going to embarrass yourself. Like, okay, well, let, let me explain. Let me, let me read it to you. If you're making notes, Mark 3 verse 14 is a foundational verse that's worth almost Donnie Griggs style tattooing on your body somewhere. Mark 3 verse 14, it says this. And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so they might be with him. And he might send them out to preach. Can you see two things in there? If you read the Bible too quickly, you'll miss it. That they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach. Jesus knows that the means to transformation in an individual is a heart change and association time together and but there is an order you see jesus pauses he just calls these men to follow me so leave what you're doing come and follow me come and be with me and that's how jesus lived his life he wasn't like hey <coughs> i i want i want to change the world i've got this amazing plan so what i want you guys to do is every week once a week, I want you to meet me here. And it's going to be amazing. <laughs> it's going to be amazing. There's going to be food. And we're going to do some cool stuff. I'm going to teach you all. And I'm going I'm I'm to equip you even. I'm not just going to talk at you. I'm gonna even going to equip you. Hey, Jesus didn't do that. He, 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 he calls them to become fishers of men. And the model that he chooses is to say, come with me. And watch my life, experience life together with me, be with me, so that I can then send you to preach. Jesus puts all of his eggs in this basket, in this model, and we'll talk about this later. Th this, is, this is his plan, to call the disciples to be with him so that he can send them out. Just think about your own life for a second. Who, who has impacted your life the most? Who's impacted your life the most? Just think like in, in, in the realm of, of what it means to follow Jesus. I mean, you, you can even, you don't, even have, you don't even have to talk about Christianity or following Jesus. The people who impact our lives are often the ones that are the closest. 
I came, I came to faith as a 17-year-old young man uh, because of two people, two earthly people. Yeah, you know we get the theology of how God's handled. But two earthly people were instrumental in this. One was the pastor at the church um, where I'd sort of grown up. My dad, my dad died when I was young. I had a stepdad. He died when I was early teens, which really catapulted me into uh, um, a time of seeking. And this guy just befriended me, this, this pastor of the church. He would come, and I have such a vivid memory of playing rugby. Rugby is like a, a, an advanced form of NFL. <laughs> like, it's <laughs> like, it's a superior cousin. It's like, you may not understand, but that, so that's what we play down in our part of the world. And I remember playing uh, at St. David's, Maris Brothers in Nanda, it's a, it's, a, it's a wonderful school. I, I, it's like yesterday, and looking at the side of the field, and he's there. And, 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 and the, the weight of it, only I mean, I appreciated it, but the weight of it has really caught up with me in recent years. He's married, he has three kids. He, he was my age, now. He's standing on the side of the field watching me play rugby. Saying, hey, let's go out, let's grab a bite to eat afterwards, talk about the rugby match, how's it going, whatever else. Next week, I'm playing on another side of the city. Guess who's there? Yeah. William. There again. And I didn't understand this. I was like, why is this? I mean, I loved him, and I was like, I didn't understand. I was just like, I really appreciate it kind of thing. And slowly but surely... Him spending his life, he would go and visit me. He would just come past my house, pick me up, put me in the car, and we'd drive together. And I didn't think it was weird. I just enjoyed hanging out with him. But slowly but surely, him rubbing his life rubbing off on mine had such a, a formulating effect in the way I saw the world and in ultimately in me coming to Christ. And there was another lady at our church who was a youth leader who just also made her, her life and her, her, just her home open uh, to me as a confused and angry young guy. And God used those people. It's the people that you spend the most time with have the greatest influence on your life. So just think about your church for a second. The people that you want to influence the most, the people that you're hoping will just... Whew, how much time do you get with them? How do, how does your, what does your diary look like as a Christian leader, assuming many of you are Christian leaders? Does your diary reflect what you ultimately want to achieve? You can't influence people without being with them. This is the model of Jesus. This is what we talk about when we talk about life on life. We start with Jesus. Say, well, Jesus, what did you do? Okay, you did this. Twelve men. I don't know how you handled twelve. I could only do three or four at a time. Twelve. Just invites them into his life. Does everything together with, with them. PJ was sort of touching on this a little bit earlier. Or PJ or Ash about the authenticity of it. Imagine the joy. I mean, we get some of the red letters of Jesus teaching. I mean, who, who wouldn't want to be at the Sermon on the Mount? I mean, your head is just as Jesus is talking. You know, amazing. I mean, we teach it. We make sermon series out of it. It's just like, there it is, there it is. But it must have been amazing to wake up in the morning, you know, and like you're looking around, you can't find Jesus anywhere. It's like, oh, he's gone again. Okay, who's going to go look for him now? I went yesterday, it's your turn. You know, like he's praying somewhere, we're going to go track him down again. You know, go and get him back. And what did Jesus like first thing in the morning? I, I wonder what Jesus was like 
tired. Just like late at night, but cranky, you know, dusty, sweaty, had people just pushing in on him. What was he like then? What was he like when the disciples were fighting amongst each other? What was the look on his face? What was the look on his face? You see, that's what you get when you get association and you do your life with people. You get to see all the in-between bits. And that's one of the temptations for us as Christian leaders is to disciple people in our best space. It's like get them into a confined setting and man, they get the best of you. You're prepared. You're giving them this. You're talking, you're talking about your life. You're saying, I do this and I do that and I there. Yeah, and they never get to see it. They just get to hear about it. And we can put forward our best foot you know, I, I could tell you the biggest load of rubbish about my life here. And I would, you would leave thinking, Doug is amazing. You know, Go, you come back to my house and ask my wife and my kids and the guys I'm discipling, what is Doug really like? You know, on day in and day out when he's tired and grumpy, first thing in the morning, what's Doug like? Later down, what's Doug like? Yeah, they get to see this in Jesus. They get to see, okay, and that rubs off on them. Yeah, I would agree. And you look, you just need to look at the scriptures and how much they don't get, how confused they are. So, but when the Spirit eventually is sent to strengthen them and empower them, you see what, what, what these guys are willing to endure and how God used them to reach the world. We always tell guys, the reason you're sitting in the room here is because this method of Jesus worked. You wouldn't be sitting here if Jesus' model to reach the world through giving his life away to men had failed. That's how mission critical this is. Association and heart transformation. Some of your parents think of parenting like this. Once a week, uh, I've got three kids, 10, 9, and 3. Once a week, I get them into the lounge. I sit them down on the couch. And I say, okay, listen, make notes. This is going to be amazing. Make notes, kids. And I tell them everything I want them to, to know that week. Download it. I use stories, illustrations, puppet show. Man, I shoot the lights out of that hour. It's memorable stuff. Okay, right, good. Now you know what to do. Go and do it. See you back here. Next week. Same place, same time. It's on. It's us. You know, how much of what, how much of that, I mean, if you put that forward in a book or in a parenting manual, it would not be a bestseller. <laughs> and if you're working on one, just I would, that's, that's free advice for you. Just don't <laughs> stop now. It's going to, any parent in the world would think you are mad. You're crazy to think that your children would absorb anything from you in like that fire hydrant kind of mentality or in a sporadic once a week kind of, you could up it to twice a week. Twice a week. Speaking at them. Maybe even entertain a question or two. You overlay that on how we do church. If you're not connecting the dots, overlay it on how we do church. Get the people in the room, put them in the rows, speak at them for an hour. And I mean, I know some of the people in the room and people you're connected to in your churches, amazing. Amazing communicators. Do it twice a week. 
it's not going to get us where we want to go. It's not what Jesus did. And maybe that's why it's not getting us where, where we want to go. If you're making notes, write this down. Jesus did not come with a plan B. Jesus didn't come with a plan B. If you're God and you're coming into the world on a rescue mission to bring about the kingdom of God and the salvation of mankind, you're not giving it a test run. Jesus doesn't come, let's try this, see how it goes. Jesus comes to do and to model the best way to reach the world. Life on life discipleship is the best way to reach the world. I'm convinced of this. You may push back and disagree. I'm convinced that if the Son of God did this, it's the best way to reach the world. It's not one of the options. Like, you know, we're awash with options in church life these days. You can read this book, this book, this book. You can do this. You can be this kind of a church, this kind of a church, this kind of a church. We don't actually do much of that stuff. If you came to our church, you would be horrified by how little we do. You would think that we're completely missing it. And I mean, maybe we are missing some stuff. And this season, well, a week after we get back, we are launching our first midweek thing that we're doing outside of community groups and missional and, and, and life on life groups. So we do Sunday, we do midweek community groups, which you start at the church, and we do discipleship groups. That's it. Our church don't do anything else. We don't have a men's ministry, we don't have a women's ministry. We don't have anything else like that. I mean, our, we, our website, you can scratch around. There's no tabs. There's nothing. It's just like, it's nothing. <laughs> it's just not there. And I'm not saying it like, because we're amazing. We came, from, we came from that. We came from that where I was at the church every night of the week. And my older two kids, I missed out on so much with them because I was so busy, what Steve was saying, I was so busy building another house that I missed the time with them. So maybe it's an overcorrection for us, and maybe time will tell. But you know what we love at the moment? I love being able to connect with my neighbors anytime I want. I love the fact that I'm at home with my kids almost every night of the week. And even when we're ministering, people are in our home for most of it. So the kids get to join in on that. They love the people that we are discipling. They do life together with them. They go to their weddings. They celebrate the ups and the downs. People arrive in our home to do life together. One of my kids was the crash test dummy for one of my disciples to learn how to change a nappy. <laughs> I haven't told my kid that. You know, I changed the relationship a little bit. <laughs> He's only three now, but... You know, when you're a young single guy, how do you learn to change a nappy? I'll tell you. You come over early to my house to hang out kind of thing, and I'm busy with kids. I'm bathing them, and I'm feeding, and I'm changing nappies, but I want to have a chat. Uh, we need to catch up with stuff. So you're coming with me. I'm like, hey, have you ever changed a nappy? Do you know how to do this, bro? It's like, hey, come here. Come, let me show you how to do it kind of thing. I, I mean, he wasn't enthusiastic, to say the <laughs> least. I'll, I'll, but he knows how to change a nappy now. He knows how to change a nappy. You know, when, you're li- when you do life with people, all strange kinds of things happen, and I'm not saying... That, that I'm just giving you an example that yeah, yeah, the, guys, uh, the guys that I disciple, the, w- the ladies that my wife disciples have seen my wife and I arguing in our house. And they've seen us reconciling in our house in front of their eyes. Not because we're perfect. I mean, we, we, we are having a proper argument. I mean, 
We don't have many, but the one, we, we, we were at war. We don't shout. We're not Mediterranean. There's no screaming and stuff, but we were firmly disagreeing with one another. But they're in our house kind of thing. And, but they know, like, we're not pausing everything while you're here because life is happening. I want you guys to see, uh, they've all got married, well, except the one guy um, and the other girls, they all got married. While in the first um, round, the first three years that we had some of these guys, I wanted them to see, it's like, when you get married, I want your eyes wide open. Not this like, oh, we're never going to fight. No, 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 that's not going to happen. You are going to fight. And when you fight, this is how you resolve. This is how you love each other. This is what, this is what a pastor's house looks like. We don't have piles of Bibles everywhere and verses on the walls and all that. Like, you know, when you sit at home just listening to Hillsong and, you know, watching TBN. Or what, I don't know what other pastor's houses. In our house, it's, may, it's mayhem in our house. We have three young kids. It's a bit of a mess a lot of the time because the kids like, I'm not as obedient on the tidying up kind of thing. I want the guys that I'm discipling to see that, and I want them to see how I react when I trip again over my kids' toys that they've left lying in the same place I've asked them to move them 15 times. I want them to see what's his reaction there. Okay, how did he then deal with the kid then? How did he then notice that I was there? What did he say to me? How does he get the gospel? Because if the gospel transforms all of life, I want to see what life looks like as the gospel's working out in this guy's life. Do you know how embarrassing it is when you lose it in front of those who you long for their respect and your discipling? If you want to disciple people with your life, you need to bury your pride and say, God, I want these people to look like you. And I'm willing to open up the floodgates of my life so they can see and lift under every rock. And it's going to take you, you can nod and nod until you look like an absolute pawpaw in front of them. I don't know, you don't use that phrase here, probably. But anyway, it's not a good thing. You know, look like an idiot. He models the best way. Let me give you briefly a definition of life-on-life mission or discipleship, and then I'll talk about what this actually looks like a little bit. Here's the definition. Laboring, and, and uh, let me say this. Um, I'm not brilliant with notes. Quint is much better with notes. We have copious notes and documents and all these kinds of things that we can send you. We can send you things to read. We can send you stuff to look at. We can direct you to a million different things. So if you miss much of what I'm saying here, all you need is our email addresses, and we will help you as much as we can and share with you what we've learned. Here's the definition that we work with. Laboring in the lives of a few (coughs) with the intention of imparting uh, one's life, God's word, and the gospel in such a way that they become mature and equipped followers of Christ committed to doing the same in the lives of others. Say that again. Laboring in the lives of a few with the intention of imparting one's life, God's word, and the gospel in such a way that they become mature and equipped followers of Christ committed to doing the same in the lives of others. Let me just double click. That's a phrase that a lot of the young guys in our church use. They double click on things. Now I'm going to double click on a couple of the words in this. Laboring. I, if you want to commit your life and your energy to discipling people, meaningfully discipling people, it is going to be hard work. It is going to be hard work. It's, it's easy to give the appearance of busyness in ministry. And it's easy to get busy doing the wrong things in ministry. 
So you can be busy, but if you want to be effective, I would say that you need to labor in the right areas. And and this I don't I don't want to I don't want to I don't want to sell it to you that this is just like easy. When you want to see Christ form in the lives of a few people, man, it it has caused me more heartache, tears, stress. It's been tougher. It's been it's been draining and taxing. It's been exhilarating and life-giving and, you know, soul-rejoicing stuff on the other hand. But it has also been hard work. In the li- laboring, in the lives of a few. In the lives of a few. This is why when we talk about life-on-life mission or discipleship with people, uh, a lot of people will give it a good hearing, think that's a great idea. But the context that I'm in, man, we've got tons of people. I can't, I can't, I don't want to entertain something that's got just going to handle a couple of people. It's like, I need a program. I can fit a lot of people in. It's like, well, then go find something else. I don't know. I, we can't help you with that because all we know is Jesus investing his life in a few for a long period of time with the multiplier effect kicking in as they then pour their lives into the lives of others. And then those do the same and those do the same. You can't do uh, everything with everybody. And for Christian leaders, prioritization is probably one of the most, one of the things that we're the worst at. I, and I would challenge you, if, I w- if we were to now throw up one of your diaries on the screen here, any one of us randomly, what, what, is your t- what does your week look like? And how does that then reflect your priorities as a Christian leader? I can say that to you because I've done the hard work of this. I've been a pastor for, I don't know, 20 years. And I wasted so many years. It's, it's, it's a regret of mine. It's a grief of mine that I wasted so many years of, of ministry, running around, doing things that I thought were a priority, but they weren't. And to be honest with you, there's very little to show for those years. There's very little to show for them. And, you know, as Christian leaders, we're really good at talking a good game. I would, if you had asked me in those years, uh, who are you investing in? Who are you discipling? Who are you pointing to? I would have run off a few people's names to you. Say, ah, oh, this guy and this guy and these people, whatever else. You know, because, because in my mind, I'm thinking, I have coffee once every two months with that guy. And I had a casual chat with that guy. And I'm sort of reading the Bible a bit with this guy. And uh, now if you ask me, who, who are the men that I'm discipling? I'm pointing into. I'll give you the names. You then go ask them. Say, what is your relationship to Doug? Is he discipling you? So yeah, yeah, he's discipling us. There's a relationship of discipleship. We're not following him, we're following Christ, but he is helping, he's helping us get that and he's shaping us in this. I want to I caution you, if you're one of those Christian leaders who's just busy, you're running around, you're flitting around all over the place, having a coffee here and a coffee there, stop that stuff. Get a few. Pray for a few. Pray for a few and bury your life in them. And let God take care of the results in the years to come. We started our church and we grew quickly. By God's grace, we grew quickly. And I went on a trip to Brazil. And I had a lunch with a pastor there who's much further down the road uh, than this on us. And he doesn't speak English. (laughs) So his wife does. So everything's conversation through his wife. So I'm busy talking and he's telling, asking about the story of our church. And I'm telling him and I'm rejoicing in the wonderful grace God's shown our church and how quickly we're growing and everything. 
and he's sitting there. We call him Shrek. He looks exactly like Shrek. You know Shrek from the... <laughs> yeah. Sitting there, nodding away there. Oh, oh, oh see, 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 you know, whatever else. And his wife's busy talking at a mile a minute, translating there. And he lets me just talk and talk and talk. And then he stops. He says, then he starts talking. No, I don't understand anything, so I'm not looking at the wife the whole time. I'll give you the summary of what he said. If you carry on doing what you're doing now, in a few years' time, you're going to be leading a church that you don't want to be a part of. I'm thinking, I've just met you. This is our first lunch. <laughs> you know, I'm thinking he's going to be rejoicing with us and he's going to be impressed with like how quickly our church has grown and the stuff that's happening. Or whatever. He says, you're not going to want to lead that church. He says, you're going to be a mile wide and an inch deep. You're going to have no depth in your church. You're going to have no leaders drilled deep down there. You're going to have no people in your church, listen to this, equipped, mature and equipped and ready to make disciples of others if you carry on doing what you're doing now. I mean, the conversation picked up from there and uh, got a bit more jovial and whatever. But for me, it was a life-changing moment. I came back from Brazil and we changed things. I said, I don't want to lead a church that I don't want to be a part of in five years' time. I don't care how many people God gives us. I don't care if we stay the same size. I don't care if our numbers go backwards. This we will do. We will give our best energy and pour into people to see them become mature and equipped disciple makers. That's what we're going to do. And when we measure things at our church, we, ha we don't count attendance at our church. We've just started doing it uh, at the, uh, about two months ago. Like get, and most, about half the time, the guys forget to do it. We don't do head counts. We don't measure things. We only measure one thing at our church. We measure how many people are in life-on-life -life groups and who is on what trajectory to become a mature and equipped disciple maker. Because you do something in your church, you get tons of people. You do something else and they all leave. I mean, you've you all been in church long enough. You give them free food, they arrive. You stop the free food, they leave. You get a smoke machine, people come. Smoke machine breaks, they leave. You get a cool band, they come. Band member leaves, worship leaders, miffed with you, leaves, people go. I mean, Sunday attendance is, wh wh what is Sunday attendance? It's nothing. Even community group attendance, people come and it's, uh, it looks like there's activity. But what are we called to do? Wh what is Jesus' instruction to us? Go into all the world and what? Make what? You make disciples. Who can then make disciples? Who can then make disciples? That's, that's a, a very clear instruction. So for us, we're terrified that we're going to stand before him one day and say, right, I gave you this responsibility as a shepherd over these people. What did you do with all of them? How did you equip them? What were you doing with them? And where were you investing your time? And for us, we're driven by this. We're obsessed by how do we help people become mature and equipped, not just disciples, but disciple makers. We want to equip them not just to say, I'm following Jesus, but I am, I'm able to help others to do the same. I'm able, I'm equipped, I know actually how to make a disciple. In my previous church, we had an elder team, and I remember the meeting. And somebody said, I've got, I've got a couple of the young adults who are looking to be discipled. Who's, 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 who's keen? The, it was, a, it was a, a slightly older eldership, so I mean, I was like by far the youngest guy. I mean, you're talking about 50s, 50-year-olds, 50 whatever. Yeah, Bueller, Ferris, anyone? <laughs> Crickets, man. There's like no one. 
And then they point another one guy. So like, how about you? Word for word, quote unquote, I wouldn't know what to do with him. And they're on the elder team. And before you look down your nose, ask the question in your teams and say, hey, if we send somebody to you to say, would you please disciple this person? Would they know what to do? If they don't know how to disciple somebody, wind everything back and start there. Say, this is how you disciple somebody to maturity. This is how you make them mature and equipped and how you put tools and skills in their hands so that they can then go and do to others what has been done to them. I'm not going to go into all the other words. Imparting one's life, God's word, the gospel, those are the things that we use. We want them to become mature and equipped. Mature and equipped. We don't just want a gun for maturity. We feel like maturity without equipping, that's, there's something, it's a bit like weird there. I think a mature person is equipped. That's our instruction. That's our job that we've been given by God. To equip the saints for the works of ministry. Not to do all the works of ministry, but to equip the saints. We tell people at our new members class, if you judge us, we get the leaders up front and say, if you judge us as the leaders by anything in this church, this is what you can hold us accountable to. Did we equip you for the works of service that God has called you to do? We don't want to hear that you don't like the music and don't send us those emails. We're not going to read them. If you want to send us an email, say, you're not equipping me for the works of service. Okay, you've got us. (laughs) We'll make changes. We don't want to hear about anything else. I mean, I'm overstating the case, but we actually don't. We delete those other emails. But <laughs> we take seriously the other things. So what does this look like? Uh, maybe this will be helpful. I, I don't have this on a slide thing, so I can send this to you. I'm going to do it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run through a list. The co- a comparison between small groups and life and life groups. Okay. Now, I'm not demonizing small groups. Our church have community groups. We started the church with them, and we will have them for as long as the church exists, okay? Um, but I do want to draw a distinction, and I know I'm caricaturing uh, small groups a little bit. Yours may not have all of these elements in it, but I want to draw uh, this table kind of thing to show you some of the distinction between how a life-on-life group is different to a small group. Small groups are often curriculum-driven, and a life-on-life group is life transformation driven. That's our goal. That's our goal in life on life groups is the transformation of people's lives. It's not just like getting through a study, you know, like, well, we did this in our community group, tick, you know. We're not sure, not sure if it had any fruit. You know, the group is too big. We couldn't really dig in with everyone else, but we got the, we got the content into them. Man, I, some of you have been Christians for long enough to know that that just doesn't work, man. It worked with some people, and it'd be a catalyst to people. But if we just throw content at people, and I think we're heading more and more into an age where that stuff is just going to start to undermine our efforts as a church. People are information overloaded. They don't need more content. They can Google it themselves. They can. They don't even need to come to church. They can Google better preachers than are found in our pulpits. And have like, you know, they can have some music thing on the one thing streaming and they can be watching Matt Chandler web on the other and like it can be like they're in heaven's throne room. <laughs> but what, wh- who's going to get into their heart and by the p- help of the Spirit peel them like an onion to see what secret idolatries are lying there and help them tease those things out and repent 
and obey. You see Jesus' instruction? What did he say? Go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them everything I've commanded you. No, he didn't say that. He said teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. You don't just teach people what Jesus commanded. You teach them to obey. That is very, very different. It's very, very different. It's easy to teach people what Jesus said. Now, to teach them, how, what does obedience look like in your life in this area? That is now something that's very, very different. It's case-specific. It's person-specific, and that's why you can only do this with a few people. In small groups, the leader prepares. In life-on-life groups, everyone prepares. Small groups of low commitment, low cost. Life-on-life groups is high commitment, high cost. I'll talk a bit about exactly what this looks like in our church, and you'll see a pattern of it. Small groups, the members sign up. In life-on-life groups, it's uh, the disciple the disciple select. This is a selection process. In our church, you cannot sign up for life-on-life missional discipleship. We don't advertise it from the pulpit. You will come to our church for months and you'll never hear any mention of it. But we have more life-on-life groups than we have community groups. And within the next couple of years, as that multiplier effect happens, that will be triple and quadruple. Because that's where we're focused. That's what we're feeding. That's where we're focusing our attention. But you don't sign up for it. It's organic. The disciples didn't like put their name on a on a clipboard thing and say, you know, Jesus like <laughs> he prayed and he selected. He prayed and he selected. So we don't have people signing up for it. Small groups focus on teaching, prayer, care, share, and life and life groups we focus on truth and equipping, accountability, mission, and prayer. Those are what we call transformational elements. I don't have a lot of time to get into that. Maybe it'll come up in the questions. The sizes are between 8 and 25 in a small group. Our life and life groups are between 3 and 6. We strongly discourage people from taking on board more than 4 or 5 people. So 5 or 6 would be the total with the person leading that. Small groups can be for Christians and non-Christians. Life and life groups are for Christians that then produce mission to unbelieving people. See them come to faith. This is life and life mission or discipleship. The ultimate end of it is that we have mature and equipped followers of Christ doing the same thing. Where do you find the new disciples? You lead them to faith. You disciple people to faith, then you disciple them in faith. It's not just like this making the Christians more mature in your church. Small groups can be mixed gendered and life and life groups are single gendered. In a small group, the leader is often like a teacher. And in life and life groups, the leader is a discipler. And teaching is not discipleship. In small groups, there's a missional expectation. And in life and life groups, there's missional experience. We get our groups equipped and trained, and they do mission together. Get them out on the streets, out in wherever, with their unbelieving mates all around, doing things together, longing, longing, praying together that God would save our friends and those who we are focusing on. Small groups can meet for as long as they want. I've been a part of a church where the group was so excited that they'd been together for 10 years, that group. 10 years. They, were like a, they wore it as a badge of honor. I'm like, wow, that's a long, that's a long time. They're like, we are tight. And I'm like, I can, I, I can believe that. 10 years will do that to you. It's like, so, so who, who's joined this group in that time? Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, I think he may have joined about eight years ago. But since then, it's sort of like been on lockdown. It's been them. 
I think that's crazy, but that's just me. Life and Life groups meet for a maximum of three years. So my wife has just finished a three-year cycle with her girls. She's walked them through so the one girl won't be starting her own group. She'll be dovetailing into another group, but the other two girls are starting their own groups. She's been walking them through, discipling them and helping them, coaching them through selection and how to start their own groups. And now she has started. So she, while she's still doing that, she's now started her own group with another four girls kind of thing. And that's what we do. We just cycle those things. So when it gets to the end of a three-year cycle, we don't just say, you know what, this is so cool. This is so cool. And you know what? Two of the girls had a real struggle with it. The one girl really struggled with it. She called my wife two weeks ago. They went out for a coffee. She was just like, I feel like you've abandoned us. Say, well, there's not much I can do for you. I've given you three years of this. And uh, there were other competing things, and I think God really graciously helped them to see things and get on the same page. But if you just keep things, if you, if you let disciples drive how long you stay together with them, you may just be with a few people forever because they'll just take and take and take. And the idea is that they would multiply. Okay, th- I won't go into any more. I think you're getting the idea of the differences. We, we love small groups. We just, in our church, we say we drive different cars for different purposes. So we're very clear on what we want our community groups to achieve. And we've gone a little bit on the prayer, care, share, teach kind of vibe thing. So it's a great front door. Anyone can go. Non-Christian can go and they feel fairly comfortable there. They're pretty big. We have a process to m- plan to multiply them, all of that stuff. And, w- and we're always going to keep them going. Uh, but our view of, of what we actually want these groups to do is very different to what we want Life on Life groups to do. And one of the learnings that we had is that we, because we were so juiced about Life on Life, we at, at one point we tried to get one car to do both things. And it was a mess. It was a mess. We had guys uh, wandering into our community groups because we structured the community groups along the same kind of vibe that we do for the Life on Life groups. And we had like non-unbelieving people, non-churched or brand new Christians wandering in. And we're trying to take the community groups to the depth that our Life on Life groups are going to. So people are coming in and um, we, t- we train guys on how to ask the right questions to pursue the heart, to help people to lead them in repentance and confession and really gospeling people. That's deep kind of heart kind of work. You bring somebody in like that and they're like, they're like, hey, you know, they're expecting like, you know, a bit of chit chat, some food, a little bit of Bible study, going around the circle, pray for this. And this one's cat and this auntie is going to hospital and whatever else. And, you know, that's what people kind of expect in it. And suddenly you've got somebody pursuing somebody's heart and fleshing. And they're like, what have I wandered into here? (laughs) I'm out of here. You know, this is too hectic for me. And we found that trying to p- do everything with one car was like, was killing us. So we've got different cars that do different things. Let me pause it there. I think, let me pause it there and take some, uh, I think you've gi- I've like just waffled on for ages. I'm sure you have some questions maybe about, well, I don't actually what questions you have, so. Do you have any questions? Yeah. Oh, okay. You have a question. It depends. In our last group, I took a husband and my wife had the wife. Um, but it's not a... And uh, different groups that we've had, particularly in, our, in, our, in the previous church that have carried on with us, um, they've got one where the, 
the husband and wife have decided to only go for husband and wife couples. So they get like three or four couples in and then they split like that. But and that works for them. Um, we go, we, we don't really go with that. We, so so we, we sometimes have husbands and the wife is, in, is not involved in anything. We have the wife and the husband's not involved. Uh, so some of it is life stage. Some of it is availability. Uh, we have a very clear process on how you go on selecting people because it's quite intense. So it looks like this. It looks like a weekly gathering in our home. Some Monday nights There's in our home uh, two, three hours focus time. They've done homework preparation for that thing. They've been answering questions. They've been in the Word every day um, ready. And it's not just like memory verse kind of stuff. It's like asking things, um, a curriculum if you want. That's a very strong word for what we're doing. Uh, but they come prepared, and the leader is prepared, and we engage in stuff. And so that's a fixed formal time. And then out of that, we're prioritizing. So the disciple is thinking uh, of formal and informal time as well. So those are the categories. We have fixed together time. Then we have uh, formal time, where I would con one-on-one formal time, where I would approach one of my disciples and say, let's go out and grab some coffee. Uh, uh, we need to chat about something. And I have in my mind uh, something we're going to talk about, or they have in their mind something that's fixed. It's, there's a formal aspect of what we're going to do. It's either come up out of the group time. It's like I realized that this person... Uh, so here's an example. We have in some of our groups, we have guys who don't, who don't know how to, have a, how, to, how to spend time with God on their own. They just, they just don't know what to do. So it's like, okay, you don't know how to do that? Okay, good. We're not going to necessarily bother with that in the whole group because maybe the other guys are just flying in that area one-on-one. So Owen, Owen doesn't know how to do that. Okay, one-on-one, we sit with Owen. Owen, okay, cool, man. Uh, this is how we're going to do it. I'm going to have a quiet time. Quiet time. I hate that term, but anyway, I'm going to have a quiet time. And you're going to watch me and make some notes. So I'm going to have a quiet time. And I'm trying to pretend like Owen's not there. I'm singing, you know, <laughs> less singing than normal, but singing, yeah. reading, praying, thinking, trying to fast track a bit. It's okay, Owen, what do you think? It's okay, oh, sh sh okay, cool. Next week, uh, we're going to do this together. So you prepare one or two things. I'll prepare one or two things. We're going to tag team this. We get together, tag team it. What, what did you think? How did that go? Good. Yeah. Next week, uh, you're going to do it. I'm going to watch. So you come, have your quiet time, make some notes. I'm going to make some, give you some coaching, some help kind of thing. Hey, and in the midst of it, maybe out of that, what we try and do with our guys is we ask them to commit to a 21-day challenge. We say, especially if they're not spending any time with God. We say, 21 days, every single day, you spend time with God. If you miss a day, you go back to the beginning. So it's, not, it's not like a legalistic kind of thing. It's a challenge for them. It's not a law, but it's to try and get them into the rhythm of spending time with God. Once they've done it for 21 days, they realize, I, I can do this. You know how many people in your church don't spend time with God on a daily basis and don't know how to? Don't know how to feed themselves from God's word on their own. It is terrifying. So we high prioritization that. Get them into the word. Teach them how to do that. So that would be like an example of a formal time. And then it's informal. That's the nappy changing, <laughs> going to sport, uh, riding my bike together with the guys. Hey, I, ne I need to go somewhere. Are you coming with me? It's just time together. And between those things, we've got a, a quite a few hours in the week. And that's why we limit the numbers because I can't give my life to everybody. So in our church, I tell the guys, look, if you need to meet with me, I'm very accessible, just let me know. But we've also built a culture where I don't get called on for everything. I'm not the best in hospitals, hospital visitations. I'm not like 
very warm and fuzzy. So I normally send somebody else to do that stuff. Uh, my wife and I do premarital counseling with guys. And we try and drive a lot of stuff through our community groups and through the Life and Life discipleship groups so that my time is freed up as the lead elder to pour into these men. And for my wife and I to pour into a few. We don't want to tell people, hey, this is what it looks like, but we, we can't really do that. We are just doing everything. The church is just killing us. Or we've made it like, well, we can do it. We can do this because we're full-time. You know, if you want to disciple people, you've got to be full-time for the Lord. We want, to, we want to model something where people can disciple others and still have proper jobs. You know what I mean? Like they can work vocationally outside of the church and disciple men and women with their lives. We see, we're seeing that more and more in our church. And it's, it's, it's thrilling to see. It's thrilling to see that. Did that answer your question? Okay, there's one at the back and then we'll go that side here. I think your question was how many do we have and did we struggle to find enough leaders? Is that what you said? Okay. So Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it is. So we're just at the point now where our, our life on life groups have overtaken our community groups. Uh, like I said. But remember that we're not trying to find a leader to do something that they have never experienced themselves. So all of the leaders of our current groups have been discipled. So that's the whole plan, that you get shown how you do to others what has been done to you. So we don't just say, hey, who wants to disciple people? When you start this in your church, when you start it, and when we've helped a few churches get this going, when you start it, it is a bit of that. Uh, and we start normally with a senior leader and with some, some mission-critical woman. You need the senior leader or leadership team need to be on board with this, and you need some godly, mature woman Otherwise, this thing will be dead in the water in your church because it'll either just, the leaders won't be bought in or you'll just have a thing for guys, okay? So you need both men and women and you need the senior leadership vested in on this. And then we start with those guys with a group. Sometimes we say to them, just do uh, with this crowd, you'll only need six months with these guys because they pretty much get it, but you want them to catch this. Th this is caught. It's not so much taught. Uh, uh, you know, y that's why we talk about thinking big, starting small and going deep. Think big. Think about your whole church involved in this. That's what you want to see happen. But start small. Start small. And go deep uh, with a few. Go deep with a few. That's why most people just toss this to the side. They're just like, this looks like it's going to take quite a while to get going. <laughs> yeah, we, we, need, we need something yesterday. That sounds cool, but I, I need something now, man. And we've just learned the hard way. Man, that flash in the pan stuff, we're just not interested in it. We're willing to go slow so that one day we'll see this multiplier effect kick. And we're starting to see the, the little blossoms of it. And I mean, it's thrilling for us, even in the small numbers we have now. But you know what? Even if it never, even if numbers never shot the lights out, what we're seeing of the quality and the fruit of people coming out of this, nothing that we do touches discipling people. Nothing that we do. And we've got a pretty strong, a pretty strong teaching team. We've got a great worship team. Nothing that we do as a church that is causing Christ-likeness to be formed in people like, like this. So yeah, all the leaders come through uh, organic groups. But obviously in the first round, you take senior leaders. And we do a whole bunch of training and different things where there's a coaching 
clinic that gets them started over a day and a half. Then they're in a pilot project group for a few weeks. Then we're helping them select groups. And the whole way we're coaching the church through that process. Uh, it's, it's, not, it's not quick. I mean, if you're looking for like a quick fix kind of thing, it's just not, not the thing. Willow Creek have got some cool stuff you can download or whatever else. Uh, um, okay, let's go to the back. And is your, ha- your, your hand was up, but let's just back and then there and then there. Okay. It's multiple conversations. It's like, uh, this is what this is. Uh, I want you to think and pray about it. Uh, do, you have capi- do you have capacity? Do you, do you travel every week? You're never, ever going to be, I'm never going to be able to do life with you. You're just never here. Or you work till 10 at night, every night. It's like, you're not the person. Uh, or it's a mom who's like, got uh, new twins or something. You know, it's like, <laughs> oh my gosh, <laughs> like her life is just, that season of her life, she's just overwhelmed with those things. It's, it's, it's an impossibility. For the timing is everything. We've found that selection is the number one key to this. If you select correctly, it, it really it thrives. Um, so we, have, we, we advocate multiple conversations. If they're married, we advocate uh, a shared conversation with a spouse. The spouse is on board with this. So it's not like a guy, husband thinks, I'm keen on this. And the wife is like, hell no. You know, it's dead in the water there, you know, like we get the wife and we explain to the wife, this is what we, and normally what happens is that the wife sees the change in the husband and she's like, you're not missing that, dude. I've got the kids tonight. I've got the kids. You go, you go, you get out the house, you go to that thing, you know, because it starts to change the guys. The guys come back and we send them home and say, you go home and you love your wife. You go home and you serve your kids. You, that's the f- playing ground there, bud. It's not hanging out with your, the, out with the boys. That's the playing ground. Go and we equip guys to do that, to lean in. So we normally find it uh, it works well there, but the, there's multiple conversations. So it's not like a casual chat. It's like, oh, he seems interested. We map it out. We say the ultimate goal is that you would do the same with others. How does that sound to you? If they give me a flat no, then it's a no. If they give me a yeah, maybe, but I just I just feel like I could never do that. I say, okay, that's fine. I'll, I'll go with anything other than a flat no. You say, if you, there's any inclination, I can put it in you. We can equip you. If there's any, any spark, we can fan it into flame. God can do something there. You know? So we'll work with those people. That's just the principle we've used. Question? Uh, okay, cool. Um, Corey? Oh, man. Andrew. Oh, here we go. Andrew has a question. <laughs> We are, uh, so we have, um, we have curriculum that we use. We don't ever normally mention it very early on in the process kind of thing, but they have all, um, they're all prepared through, and some of the, c- the curriculum is broken up into modules focusing on different things. So there would be like a six-week module on the gospel. And so there's six weeks where each week they're looking at a different aspect. And so they have prepared that. I have gone through the same stuff again, but I, we don't get together and say, what did you get for question one? What did you get for question two? I've prayed and I've thought about it and I've thought about these guys and I think this question will be a good question. And so we have to spend some time and we talk about teams, truth, equipping, accountability, mission, and supplication. And so in my mind, I'm thinking these are the elements of transformation that I want to use tonight with these guys. So we spend a bit of time talking about the truth 
aspect. And sometimes when we talk in, uh, so say like there's an, uh, a module on sovereignty, you know, and that's difficult. You want the truth aspect sometimes is two weeks of that, you know. You don't want to like say, well, this week's module was this, you know. Everybody get it? And they're like, no, no, no still confused. It's like, well, th that was for this week. Next week we have to move on to this. Yeah, the curriculum is there to serve, not to enslave. And so I use, we have curriculum that covers about 40 weeks of a year. And to be honest with you, I get through very little of it at the moment. Uh, because I want to see life transformation happening. So we use truth where it's necessary. We equip people. So, okay, well, that's the truth. But what does that mean for you? What does that mean for you then? Uh, it's not just stuff I want you to know. How does that come to bear on your life? And as you make commitments to do things out of that, how is the gospel, are these gospel commitments you're making? Are you just lapsing into legalism? And, we, and, and then we transition and say, okay, we don't just want to focus on ourselves. We're every week, we're trying to have a missional element. We're saying, okay, hey, let's be praying. Let's be thinking. Hey, let's commit. This week, we are gonna, we're going to either invite some guys to a common bowling event that we're going to go and do together, or we're just going to commit. Or can we all commit that we're going to share one thing that's come out of our time with God with one colleague this week? We just, we're looking, we're looking outside, we're looking outside, we're praying, okay, hey, your name is Owen, okay, Owen, Owen's mate, Mark, we're praying for Mark, Lord, we pray for Mark, we're storming the gates of heaven, <laughs> or hell, whatever it is, you know, for Mark, <laughs> you know, praying together, so that's the, yeah, the S, so, and, and, and it varies, so some weeks, so I'll have weeks where a guy, um, one of my guys who I was discipling, he was going through a period of where he was having real drama with his, um, with his girlfriend. Uh, real wrestling questions kind of thing. He would arrive not in the mood to like dig into a whole bunch of other stuff. Like these were like real, he was considering like next steps with her and all this kinds of stuff. It was a big deal. He would arrive just, and, and he, you know, just say, hey, in the casual conversation, how's it going? Whatever. It would just come out, tears, drama. You know what? We just dived in there. And we loved him, and we gospeled him, and we helped him, we prayed with him, we explored what was going on in his heart. And for a season, we did actually more of that than we did curriculum kind of stuff, because that's what life presented us with then. Another night, a guy's grandfather died on the day we were meeting. He arrived, just, his gran he loved his grandfather. What did you think we did? <laughs> you know, if you're so wed to curriculum stuff, you'll just kill people. The curriculum's out the window. Sometimes we get halfway through curriculum and you just feel like the Spirit of God is just saying, Phew. here it is. This is the guy tonight. One guy's just stuck on something. And, and you just know. And, and we, train, we train our groups and our guys to team things together. We want guys, it's not just like they're all waiting for Doug. Doug's the disciple. No, it's like you ask a question, pursue his heart, let's pray, let's share things together. So, I mean, your answer to your question is very long and rambling, but it's a mixture of different things. We use transformational elements. We do guide, and the leader is prepared and has an idea of what he wants to do, but we also go with what's presented on the night, um, and we take the long view of stuff. Um, let's go here, there, and there, there, yeah. Yes. Yeah, this is a mess. Yeah, sure. <laughs> it, it's messy with people. You know, these are people. They're not robots. We're not like 
covenanting in blood with the guys. I mean, we ask them to agree to things. So the normal pattern is we ask them to agree to a year, and then we renew that commitment each year with them. So it gives us a gracious exit if they, I mean, every now and then we've had to fast track that. Like they're just not coming, they're not leaning in, they're not doing the homework. They just, they don't really want to be there. Or they're traveling too much, life is caught up with them, whatever else. And we realize, you know what, it's having an adverse effect on the rest of the group. You're just, you're here and they're not, and they're here. And it's just not happening. So and we graciously sit them down and say, look, we don't think this is for you now. Kind of thing. Here's an off-ramp, gracious, pray, send them out. You don't want to just keep lingering, things like that. This is too intense. You really want to give your life to the right people here. But we have that, that set in once a year, once a year, once a year. Are we all good? Good for another year? Yes, good, good. Bang, let's go. You know, and normally it's like, encouraging and like okay this is what we're trusting god for this year this year but sometimes it's a this has been great you know and sometimes it's not catastrophic it's like you just never hear we need to exit them sometimes it's just like they're feeling and we're feeling a little bit of a niggle it's like then it's a gracious like hey this is i I think this has really helped you move forward has it yeah and we celebrate the wins we celebrate what god has done and we say that's cool like this this bit's come to an end in in this group for now uh there was a hand yeah Well, the community groups have a, I mean, a more shallow feel, if you want. Like, unbelievers can come in there and they can take more people. Uh, they can multiply much quicker. Um, yeah, if a new person comes to our church, you know, we say, hey, sign up for a community group. You can never sign up for a life on life group. It's just never going to happen. Um, and so we, we're, we have very, not thin, that's the wrong word, uh, focused aims. It's prayer kish, it's a place of connecting. We do want to encourage our community groups to be missioned together, but ma- maybe your community groups are different to ours. It's tough to get them all just like fired up for mission together. We find that when we want action to happen, with the people who are the action people are the guys who have been intentionally discipled. That, that's what we see happening. I mean, I think th- the other models that are working definitely better than ours, but we just see, that, okay, that's good for that. This is good for this. So. Yeah, another one at the back. Let's take uh, let's take two more. We are we are going to be the three o'clock people. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, sometimes it is. I mean, they come early and uh, we make dinner with them. Uh, they just r- randomly arrive at our house. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, every situation is different. Um, and your context may be different. Uh, we have couples, you know, they babysit for us and you catch up. You're, what you're wanting is to have an open home and an open life and to actively, so they can just burst in on it. Within reason. I mean, I'm not saying you're just like, hey, you know, you have no boundaries at all. Uh, but you're also trying to be intentional and in redeeming your rhythms. So if you're doing this, you're doing it with more intention. You're doing that, you're doing it with more intention. Um, so they can see more than just what they see in a, in a formal meeting. They can see the rest of life together. So we try and drag out times together. I don't want to oversell that. Like these guys are always in my home and like they're basically like squatters there. Uh, that's not the case. 
Um, but we do try to stretch out the time. If I'm, if I'm watching the rugby, um, I don't want to watch the rugby on my own. I mean, that's just a sad thing to do, pretty much. So <laughs> I'll just... And they may not always be able to. They may not want to, necessarily. But I, I'm, you know, it, there's a large relational connection that happens when you point into three or four guys and you find that you do just end up doing a lot of life together. Sometimes you're in their environment. Sometimes they're in your environment. You're meeting their friends. They're meeting your friends. Um, it's a mixed bag. Yeah. I wonder if you could just give us a taste of like some of the changes you've seen in the couple of guys and what impact it's had on them and they then on the church part. Yeah. I'm trying to think. Uh. So we have one guy, uh, which is, this is an encouraging story. Quent discipled this guy in his first round of guys or second round he is now on track to become our first marketplace elder so years ago he came to he came to faith when did he come to faith about seven eight years ago seven eight years ago he came to faith met and married his wife in the church which is wonderful and we've just seen this guy mature maturing 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 got into a life on life group with quent and a couple other gents, and just, just catapulted in weight and maturity, and now he is now he is leading his own life on life group, second time around, and just pouring his life into men, and and he's got young kids. He's he's got a young kid. He doesn't have two kids yet. So they're trying to have a second kid. Just moved out. The guy works long hours and stuff, but he's so intentional. Just to see how this has gripped his own heart in terms of what it did in, in bringing about Christ-likeness in him. He's prior, happy to prioritize his time to give his life away to others and how it's helped our church. And now, so much so that he is the first guy we are considering praying in as an elder. Um, and we, we look back down the road with him and we just think, what were the things that really accelerated this guy? You know, and we've got a couple stories like that. We've got one guy who I discipled who, to be honest, he would have wrecked his marriage if he had stayed in a community group. He would have wrecked his marriage because of issues of pornography and a whole bunch of other things. Would have been a train wreck. And when I say it's messy, it, it is messy. Discipleship is messy. When you deal with things like that in a group with guys, it's a mess. But graciously, week after week, hour after hour, the grace of God came to bear on this guy's life. He's in our leadership development process now. His wife loves him, and he loves his wife, and God has been so kind to them. And I can't trace it outside of the grace of God. In the work of the Spirit, I can't trace it to any other interaction rather than me, just even when I didn't feel like it. And I'll be honest with you, all truth told, I didn't have a lot of hope. I didn't. I did pray with as much faith as I could muster, but it was such a mess. I was just like, okay, God, like, let me pour in what I can into this guy and you do the rest. And now he's on our eldership track as well. You get your hand up.
Yeah, I mean, our time is up. If Take away these things. Go and explore for yourself the example of Jesus in the Scriptures. And remember what I said earlier. It's not just that we want to be like Him in His character. What did He do? What did He do? And what are we doing? You only get one shot at life. And I mean, the, the older I'm getting, it feels like it's getting... It's going quicker. I don't, I don't want to waste any time. I don't want to waste my time in ministry. I don't know how many fruitful years I've got left. I want to give my best energy and my best time to pouring into men. I don't know how many years I'm going to have to do that. I, and I, I want to, if you give me an option, I'm going to prioritize this above pretty much anything else. Preaching, I feel God has called me to preach and discipling these men. Everything else falls way down the pecking order. Obviously, my family are in that and all that stuff. Those are above these priorities. But think about your own life. Think about your priorities, what your diary is looking like. How obedient are you to the model of Jesus? You may not have it all mapped out. We haven't even scratched the surface of stuff in this. We couldn't. Get some people. Pray for some people. Pray for some people and pour your life into them. If you want help, reach out for help. Reach out to us. Reach out. If you're an American, uh, I would reach out to Perimeter Church. A lot of what we do has been shaped by what they've taught us. They're in Atlanta. They will help you. They will get you there. They will pour into you. They will give you stuff. They are very open-hearted and generous. You don't have to do exactly what they do. The principles of pouring your life into others, that's what it's about. And I, and I, and I pray, let me pray as we close, that you would see the same kind of fruit. You would, see, you would have a joy, the joy of discipling others. I know I've made it sound a lot like hard work, but there's... there's I miss my guys when I'm not with them. I love them. I love these guys. They are a treasure. Let's pray together.
Jesus, we worship, uh, we worship you. You're the, you're the living God, but you're also the ultimate disciple maker. And we just think of, we just think of how you lived. So intentionally, so, so in, in such a posture of giving your life away, not just in death, but in life uh, to others, modeling and teaching and befriending and enduring with others. And we sit here today mindful that we're here because your plan worked. You, your plan worked. Your plan to pour your life into others worked. Empowered by the Spirit, it transformed those men and the gospel has gone to every corner of the earth as a result of it. We just want to say we pray that you would help us, that you would fill us with your Spirit, that you would guide us to the people that you long for us to pour our lives into and that we would see fruit. We would see Christ-likeness form in the, in the lives of those that we love. We would see mature and equipped disciple makers being raised up in our churches. That there would be such a health that comes to our churches. We don't want to worry about other numbers. We want to worry about this. We want to be obedient to what you have asked us to do and sent us into the world to make. And we pray and we look to you for your help and for your empowering. We trust you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. Enjoy the afternoon.